we pick it up in verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I've heard it said that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And so here is the introduction to our text tonight, particularly verse 15, where 14 and 15, where Joseph's been called from the prison, the dungeon. He showered, shaved, changes his garment, and he goes right to the palace. What a dramatic change one day can be. It's just amazing how much in one day such a profound positional change can happen. I mean, he's here in the dungeon when he wakes up that morning, and he's true to who he is, faithful in his relationship with God. And before the sun sets that night, he is called up into Pharaoh's palace, the most powerful court in the world, the most powerful kingdom in the world, if not the most powerful one of them. And so he goes from this place in the depths of obscurity where he's faithful to the court of Pharaoh in the palace, from the prison to the palace in one day. That's how fast things can change. But as we look at him tonight in this text, it's not like he got lucky and won the lottery. He's not someone going to 7-Eleven, buying lottery tickets for 20 years, and suddenly he wins the lottery by dumb luck. No, he has been prepared in the prison to be the person he needs to be in the palace. So it just didn't happen in one day. It happened over a decade, the preparation to get from the dreams of glory where he's given dream of divine origin that his brothers bow down to him to being in the palace where that will be fulfilled, where people will shortly be bowing down to him as second in command in this powerful kingdom. No, he did not win the lottery in one day with dumb luck. He went from the prison to the palace by the character that took place in his heart in those deep recesses in the bowels of the dungeon there in Egypt. And there's a lot to learn from it. So as he comes before Pharaoh, the first thing he says is, it's not in me to interpret dreams, it's the Lord. We read on in verse 17. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river, and suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat. And they fed in the meadow, and then, behold, seven other cows came up from them, poor, very ugly, gaunt, such ugliness I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. When they'd eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke also in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up of one stalk, full and good. Then behold, seven heads withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them, and the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. There are things that happen in time, space, and matter in the human experience where man is exalted. Man has all the answers. It's the pride of man. It's the glory of man. It's like watching the Super Bowl. Halftime, commercials, the athletes. It's just the glory of man. And in the split of dimensions of time and eternity... There is only so much glory that is on this side of time. And if we don't 
raise our expectations of the Lord, if we don't raise our thinking and elevation in the Lord, we will only see the left side of time and eternity. In other words, this time, space, and matter is all we'll see. But what really matters and shapes everything is the other side of that, eternity itself. For it is God who is eternal and works from the eternal to prepare us for the eternal because we're all destined for eternity. And do not be deceived or led astray by the temporal glory of man because God himself said through the prophet Isaiah, the glory of man is as the grass of the field that grows, it withers, and it fades away. And there and before this day, on the day planner before this day in Pharaoh's court, there's these magicians and there's these important people and there's the right-hand man and the yes-men and the posse and the guy that manages the social media account and the guy that manages like the press releases and the people that say yes, yes, and a few people that maybe say no when you need to hear no, but they're hard to find usually when you're Pharaoh. And he's Pharaoh, he's the most powerful person, he's a king. And in that court, it worked a certain way up until that day. It functioned a certain way. The magicians say this, whatever makes them happy. Hey, if you, if, you, if you find favor, you get restored and you can pour his wine for him. If you don't, he hangs your head and the birds eat your head. Okay? And it just works a certain way, this side of eternity. And that's all Pharaoh's court knew and functioned within up until this day when Joseph gets the call from the prison to the palace. But what happens in that palace, in that court, is really what's going on all the time. Eternity reigns over time. That's why Jesus said that we set our treasures in heaven, for our treasures are our heart will be also. And he wants us to be thinking about heaven perpetually and consistently in all of our thought processes. He doesn't want our thinking limited to what we might see on the internet or in news and think that's the world. He wants us to be elevated beyond that with an eternal perspective, the way things really are, not the way they're perceived or presented by fallen men in Pharaoh's court. For all these musicians can spin things however they want to, but on this day, they have no answers because the answer has to be of divine nature because the dream is of divine nature because God is moving from his divinity in the realm of time to draw people toward eternity and his purposes in time that ultimately play into eternity. We can never forget this is the bigger picture. Joseph is no different the person in Pharaoh's court than he was in the prison that morning when he woke up. He might look different because he's been cleaned up and shaven and all these things, but the character of that man has not changed. He's a man of faith before he comes to the court, and he's a man of faith in the court. And now the scales turn. The, st- the scales tip. They tip from the temple to the eternal because Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the planet, has had this dream from God and none of these people in his court serve God or know God. And therefore, they're worthless. They're worthless counselors. It's out of their pay grade. It's not in their wheelhouse. But for a spirit-filled man or a spirit-filled woman, it's right down our strike zone. This is right where we function. When you walk by faith and you live by the Spirit and you walk in humility and you give God glory for everything he does in your life, when this day arises, it's always going to be about the Lord, not about you. And that's what we see from Joseph. Think about this. He was in the prison that morning and he probably looked like someone stranded on an island. You know, it said he shaved. He probably was, you know, probably had a beard and all this stuff and looked like, you know, rough, like whatever the perception. However you looked in a prison in Pharaoh's court or in Pharaoh's prison, That's how he looked. They said, you can't go in the court looking like this. So they cleaned him up and they changed his garments. But when he got to the court, 
He wasn't swayed by the power of men any more so than Daniel was when he came into the court of Belshazzar to interpret the writing on the wall. Because the very first thing out of his mouth is it's not in me, but God is the one who will do it. You talk about boldness at your new job. You talk about being spirit-filled. You talk, I mean, Pharaoh's going to say he's a spirit-filled man. Who can do a better job than him? That's what he's going to say before this text is done. But that when he has that moment, he comes before a position of power. He's not trembling. He's not impressed with men. He's not afraid of men. He's not disrespectful for men. He's learned respect in where he's at. He's learned respect for the person that's going to be hanged. He's learned respect for the person who's going to be restored. He's learned respect for all the prisoners, the ones that are justified, horrible criminals, and respect for those who have been unjustly put in prison. He's learned the whole experience at the bottom of the human experience for a long time in Pharaoh's prison. And so when he stands before Pharaoh, he's no more the impressed or unimpressed than he would be before anyone else. Think about that. What if you stood before the president, the last one or the current one or the next one? How would you feel? What if he called you forth and said, said something? How intimidated would you be by the power of men or women in that situation? But when you've been, had dreams from the Lord, betrayed by your brothers, thrown in a pit, been falsely accused of attempted rape in a job that you are faithful and obedient in, and spent years in the prison where people forget about you, you know what? You have eternal perspective. And it's not about the fear of man, but it's about the fear of the Lord. And you just love what he says there in that verse 16. It's not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. You know, if you're going to be number two in the world and the number one employee on the planet, you got to learn that the way for promotion is demotion. And you got to learn it's the Lord. So few people can really be trusted with power and wealth in faith in Jesus Christ. Rare is the woman, rare is the man. Because power and wealth generally corrupt people. Not always. And there's wonderful exceptions to that. But Jesus himself said how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. To whom much is given, much is required. And Joseph is going to become the most powerful man in the world on this day. And you got to appreciate when he gets to call up to the big leagues, to the corporate office, and stands in the office of the big boss who's behind his big desk with all of his board of directors that don't have the answers, he says, it is not in me to do this, but God will do it. Isn't that beautiful? Just meditate on that for a minute. Like, he's not falling back on his degrees or how he's been educated, or anything like that. He just says, I'm nothing, God is everything. Before honor is humility. For anything that God's going to do in our life, it's going to be humility precedes honor. And when you look at great women of God, great men of God, you'll see time and time again that God allows them to experience great adversity, even injustices and great affliction, to prepare them to have great power so they understand it with the right perspective and the full perspective. And Joseph was that man. It's not in me, it's the Lord. For great things to really be done by the Lord in our life, we have to understand it is in fact his ability and our availability. We need to understand that he resists the prophet, gives grace to the humble. Or as it says in the book of Jeremiah, seek ye great things, seek them not. It's about being faithful in the little things. For to her who has, more will be given. But even to her who does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. 
So we understand for men and women with the kingdom of God that these experiences that take us from the prison to the palace before the prison guard to before the most powerful man in the world, in the experience between these two things, from the pit that the brothers threw him in to the betrayal in Potiphar's house to the prison and all these things, that the first sentence and the only sentence out of Joseph's mouth when he stands before the most powerful man in the world is, it's not in me. It's not in me, but God is with God. You know, some of us would be afraid to say that, right? Like, it's God. Like, oh, here comes the God rap, right? It's like, man, you spent a decade in prison for falsely accused for rape, attempted rape. You're like, whatever. Hey, it's not in me. It's God. But remember, Joseph did have the dream, and he believed it was from the Lord. So he hasn't lost faith or lost hope. It's like, it's not in me. So the Lord, we need to remember that. And I think most of us know that. But now more so than any other time in this planet, you got to believe that God wants to do great things and a generation's arising that needs to be encouraged to seek him, to humble themselves before him and to be available to him and to see, see stories of faith in their generation, in their life. And we need to encourage them by our examples through what we've gone through that it produces this in our life. That we're, we have humility and we have faith. And that's what Joseph has. It's not in me. It's the Lord. Humility in our witness and a quick, a quick articulation of faith in God in our witness is the evidence of someone who has the right perspective on this side of time because they're living for the other side of it, eternity. A second thing we see here as we go forward is... As the dream is given, so the dream is pronounced. This dream, there's never been a dream like this, and Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the world, is terrified. He describes these cows as ugly, horrendous, and he's never seen anything so ugly in his entire life. It's a scary dream for the most powerful man in the world. Verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land, so the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine fallen it, for it will be very severe." And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. The second thing we see in this story apart from the dream is now the interpretation of the dream. So we've had Joseph come into the court and he says, God will give the interpretation. It's not about me, it's about the Lord. And now as Pharaoh articulates the dream, Joseph interprets the dream and it's still all about God. It's still all about the Lord. The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. In a very subtle way, Joseph, in a very natural way, is reminding Pharaoh that God has the final say even over Pharaoh. God has shown you something that you yourself would know. God has shown you something that you cannot figure out or all your people. And isn't that really how it works Sooner or later, deep in the recesses of every human soul, no matter how powerful or how fallen to the other extreme, we come to places where 
the mortality and the questions of mortality and purpose of life, the big questions that all people have to ask themselves deep in their souls, particularly as they enter adult years. Sooner or later, we're forced to come to conclusions about our worldview, about who we see in the mirror, the purpose of that person's life, our timeline and our generation, and what it all means. You can be so powerful, and yet you can lose it all in one day because you step into eternity. Or as Jonathan Edwards used to say back in the colonial era, we're just one slippery step from sliding into eternity. And we, we, most of us understand that. But there are so many people that we know that don't think about eternity. They don't think about accountability to the Lord. There are people we hear about that might frustrate us, that seem to want all the power, which is nothing new under the sun, who don't think about eternity, don't fear eternity, don't fear the Lord. Going through my devotions in Jeremiah, it's just time after time, it's just someone else that doesn't listen to the truth and the frustrations of that and how it affects Jeremiah and his generation. But he was faithful in his generation, and that's really the the lesson of Jeremiah's life and ministry at a very difficult time when he lived on the planet. Joseph is used by God to remind Pharaoh that even Pharaoh bows the knee to somebody. And we're told by the Lord himself in the Old Testament, as I live, every knee will bow and tongue confess that I am the Lord. And then we're told in the New Testament that's affirmed with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we can bow the knee now through receiving Christ and humbling ourselves and repenting of our sins and putting our faith and trust in him as our Lord and Savior. Or we can step into eternity and the books are open and we'll bow the knee and we'll confess that he's Lord to the glory of God the Father before we're cast into outer darkness. But there are no other alternatives. There's no other alternative universes where anything else other than that awaits the destiny of humanity. For all things are made by Christ and for Christ, and in him all things consist. And it's to the Lord to whom we must all give an account. And the Holy Spirit cries out on this side of the dimensions, seek the Lord, serve the Lord, and only the Lord counts. And everything you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your reward. That's all that counts. You know, to be here at church on a Saturday night, it shows wisdom. It shows a desire to pursue the things that really matter. But to wake up on Sunday morning, Monday morning, and do the same is even greater. To take what is taught here for you and to seek the Lord on your own with your devotion time, your time in the Word, your time in the prayer, what you seek after, because we're going to flip. It's going to go the other way. We're all just passing through this timeline, and that's the reality of it. And you come here to be reminded almost every week of that. And we should be reminded. Peter said, I remind you the same things time and time again because we need to be reminded. And Pharaoh needs to know, you're not God. God is God. Pharaoh's not God. The Lord is God. And another Pharaoh 500, 400 years after this will find out when he fights, goes head to head with God to fight God. And he's judged by God himself with the gods of Egypt, the 10 plagues. I am the Lord and there's no other, says the Lord through Isaiah. I am a God. I am God and there is no other God, not before me or after me. He's all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. He's a rock and our God is a rock. And he's for the people of covenant and we are the people of covenant through faith in Jesus Christ. And he's for the lost to come to become people of covenant. But we must all choose. And even Pharaoh, you know, they 
oh, you talk, they talk about the tombs of the pharaohs, right? The, the, they mummify them and all this kind of stuff. Like, hey, they return to the dust just like everybody else. No matter how you wrap a dead body of pharaoh, embalm him. From the dust we came, that the dust will return. And who said that? The Lord said that. And what did David say at the end of his life? I go the way of all men. And so it is. And what is the hope of the gospel that will be raised up from the grave? Through faith in Jesus Christ, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And when that last trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air, and we will join them in glory, in glorified bodies, because this corruptible must put on incorruptible, and this mortal must put on immortality. This terrestrial must put on celestial. And that's our destiny through faith in Jesus Christ. The eternal glorified body. For it is not yet revealed what we will be like, but when he comes in his glory, we will be as he is. And that's the hope of heaven. That's the hope of the church. The world doesn't have that. The church has that. Only the church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Only through faith in Jesus Christ we have that hope. Pharaoh does not have that hope. Joseph has that hope. Joseph lives in the time where things are a shadow of things to come concerning Christ, but pointing toward Christ. At the end of his life, he's going to look, God's going to keep his word and he's going to visit his people, will be a nation, he's going to take us to the promised land. So when they do, when the Lord does that, you take my bones with you, and don't you bury me in Egypt, you take me to the promised land. By faith, he saw those things that were yet not come to pass, but were spoken, he believed them, not wavering at the promises. He's a man of faith, Joseph. He tells Pharaoh, God's personal for you. God has shown you, Pharaoh, what he's about to do. Remember that the next time you're sharing with somebody. God meets people where they're at, and God has shown you what he's about to do. God becomes personal in people's worlds, and when we're sharing our faith and reflecting Christ to people, we've got to remember that God makes himself personal to people. There's 8 billion people on the planet, but he makes himself very personal to people. He's no less personal with someone else than he wants to be with you and I, for he knows the hairs on our head. And once you get stripped Pharaoh down away from his entourage and his yes-men that can't solve these, these deeper issues of life because they're on this side of the, 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 the line for eternity, it's just Pharaoh before the Lord. That's how Paul could stand before Agrippa. You stand before the Herods. You could stand before Caesar and Festus and Felix and governors and powerful people. And Paul didn't blink because he... He knew the Lord's the final authority, and he knew it was all about the Lord. That's how we want to be. The last thing he said here to Pharaoh in verse 32 is, because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. And we would say yes and amen to the second coming as well. The things God has spoken about his return, they're established, and they're going to come to pass. There's not one rebellious heart on this planet that can keep the Lord Jesus Christ from coming back in his glory for his church with his church to establish his kingdom. There's no Pharaoh on this planet. There's no Cleopatra. There's no one that can stop it. Anywhere they can stop the grave and the law of entropy working against them between now and his return. He's the final authority. Joseph is respectful of Pharaoh. He's not disrespectful. Certainly you can see that in the text. But he reminds Pharaoh, hey, God showed you, and God showed you God has shown Pharaoh. He's, three times he brings God in the conversation. God has shown you, Pharaoh. God has shown you, Pharaoh. God has shown you, Pharaoh. And it will come to pass what he said. It's a good witness. Joseph's got a great witness. Verse 33, we read on. From the prison to the palace, 
Verse 33, now therefore, let Pharaoh, so he's got the dream, the interpretation of the dream. Now we have the application. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh. And let them keep food in the cities that the food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which will be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in a garment of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. and Without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath paneah And he gave him his wife, Asnath, the daughter of Pat-parah, the priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And just like that, it flipped in one day. In one day. It all flipped in just one day. Judah sold his brother for 20 shekels of silver. The man who's going to run the world. His brothers despised him, were full of jealousy, denied his dreams that came from the Lord, resented him, undervalued him, and had no concept at all the greatness. They had no concept at all the greatness that was in their brother from the Lord. They couldn't see it. They couldn't see the potential. They couldn't see the calling. Hey, just a side note. Don't make that mistake when you look at anyone else. We need to see the potential of God's greatness in every person we ever look at. Wherever God sends you, to the ends of the earth or to your neighbor next door, we need to see the potential of God's greatness in every human being that we look at and consider what God might do in and through their lives if their lives become yielded to the Lord, even as Joseph's was. But it's ironic that it's Pharaoh, who's a businessman at the highest level, who does recognize the value of Joseph. He recognizes what his brothers could not recognize. His brothers, who are the patriarchs, they're the sons that become the 12 tribes, they can't recognize God's greatness and call on their brother's life, or they can and they resent it and sell him for 20 seconds of silver to Ishmaelite traders to be a slave. They throw him under the bus. And here, Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the world, he looks at Joseph and says, hey, I never even heard of you to today, but guess what? Here's my signet ring. I know greatness when I see it because I see the spirit of God in you. And in all my court, who has the wisdom you have? Not only have you interpreted the dream, you have a plan to execute something that offsets the disaster of the dream that actually is something for good based upon your application. I recognize your value, and I'm immediately promoting you from being director of my prison to director of my entire palace and kingdom. 
It's an incredible story if you really think about this. And it should encourage us. Because God sees our faithfulness in the little things. And again, to him, to her who has, more will be given. And it's about faithful stewardship and faithfulness with the Lord. And it doesn't matter if we ever seem like there's a a fullness being paid off of our investment of being faithful in a job, in a relationship, in a society, amongst a people group, for a timeline. Because I can guarantee us tonight that the faithfulness in the little things in time will most certainly be rewarded for all eternity. Because Jesus himself said in there in Matthew with the parable of the minas that the one who had five that made ten and the one that had two that made four, they enter into much more responsibility. And the context of that in Matthew 25 is bookended by him talking about his return with the ten virgins and his return with the good fish and the bad fish and the separation of the sheep and the goats. The entire chapter deals with the second coming of Christ and accountability of Christ. And there, between verses 13 and 30, with the parable of the minus, he makes clear that the one who has, more will be given to him for all eternity. So what I'm telling you is, in your faithfulness in time, you might get the payoff like Joseph here does in Pharaoh's palace. But if you don't know this, when we step into eternity, you will get the payout for your faithfulness in time. And eternity is going to look a lot different than what we think it's going to look like. I'm quite certain of that. Because all those people that seem so obscure or neglected or off the grid or off the radar that are faithfully serving the Lord without accolades or praise of men, even a pat on the back, those people are ruling and reigning in the kingdom. And many people who blow their own horn, sound their own trumpet in religion's name or in Jesus' name in self-promotion or whatever, or without Jesus blow their trumpet they will be fortunate with Jesus to be in the kingdom. And those, of course, that are cast out are cast out and they're a distant memory like civilizations that are buried under 20 feet of dirt in the Middle East right now that no one even remembers. They came and they went and who remembers their story. I mean, Solomon says that in Ecclesiastes. Solomon is 3,000 years ago. And he's saying, kingdoms come, kingdoms go. No one even remembers them. Who even remembers it? He said that 3,000 years ago about the kingdoms that came before him. That's what we think of his kingdom now. Jerusalem has like 17 layers if you go to it. Jerusalem has been burnt and re Like when you go to Jerusalem, there's layers and layers and layers. But this is our timeline. And our faithfulness for our timeline and what God's created us to do, there's a reward for that in our faithful stewardship. We may not ever rule in, in Pharaoh's court. We may never have the most powerful person in the world hand us a signet ring, his credit card, his line of credit, and say, run the world. In fact, I seriously doubt we will. But we might have some similar things in our world and how we see things that might happen where you get promotion. Promotion comes from the Lord. You might not get promotion. But we don't do things as unto men. We do things as unto the Lord. And you might spend your whole life in prison being faithful. But wait till you get to the kingdom because there's no greater palace than the palace of the kingdom. The presence of the king. The king of kings, right? The story of Joseph is just such a reminder in this particular part of the story that it'll all flip in one day. And for those that are faithful in time, space, and matter and endure injustices and stay the course of being faithful unto the Lord and not making excuses for failure, but growing and learning in their journey, when they step into eternity, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, and he will entrust more to us. And what he entrusts to us is never taken away from us because we don't do the redo 
on what time and temporal establishes for all eternity. Once it's in eternity, it's locked in. There's no redo. It is what it is in a whole other dimension. And eyes not seen nor ear heard those things that he's prepared for those who love him. And he's revealing those things to us by the gospel. And as we're being transformed from glory to glory, spending time with the Lord, as in a mirror, it says there in 2 Corinthians, when Paul saw the third heaven, the presence of the Lord, he could not describe it to us. So by faith, which it always is, we receive these things, we believe these things, and it's our faith in the coming glory that pushes us and spurs us and encourages us to make the right decisions in stewardship and faithfulness on this side of the timeline. On this side of the timeline, we live like we're already in that next side of the timeline, and then when we transcend it, we're just entering into glory. When you step into eternity, when I step into eternity through faith in Jesus Christ, we literally pass from the prison to the palace. We literally pass from the prison to the palace. This corruptible must put on incorruptible. Paul said, to live is Christ, but die is gain. That is going from the prison to the palace. That's what it means to live for Christ. We, we go with everything we got for the kingdom until we breathe our last, and then we're in the palace. And to be living for any other reason is not to be living at all. Because Jesus said he came that we might have life and that more abundantly. And abundant life is in living for eternal life for the king. And all the little distractions that carries us like to choke out the good seed, all the persecutions that we wilt back from that make us shrink because we don't have a deep root, all the little things that get ripped out of our heart because we didn't have faith and trust in the Lord and we let the devil rip those things out of our heart, they, it's our loss. It is up for us to accept the responsibility to passionately pursue the Lord in our own best interest as servants of the king. And you can't make your spouse see the day of the Lord, and you can't make your children see the day of the Lord. You can't make your parents see the day of the Lord. But you can sure wake up in the morning and say, I see the day of the Lord, and you can choose to pursue. We can choose to pursue with everything we got, the day of the Lord. If we're in the prison, we're in the prison. If we're in the palace with the signet ring, whatever it is, we, we choose to do what's right and be faithful. So we think about going from the prison to the palace when he got to the palace, it was so obvious that the Lord was with him. And Pharaoh said, this is an amazing young man. The Spirit of God is with this man. And so, as we think about our journey, we want people to look at our lives and look at your life and my life and say, the Spirit of God is with this woman. The Spirit of God is with this woman. And they, might even, they don't know the Lord, but they're like, you know, there, there's the Spirit of God. This is a Spirit-filled woman. There's a spirit-filled man. And if it's, a, if it's a high place in the palace, okay. If it's just being faithful in the prison, okay. But be a spirit-filled woman. Be a spirit-filled man. Because then when you're caught up to the palace, whether it's the ultimate palace or some palace here on earth, you're not caught off guard. You don't have to change who you are. You don't have to look for something and create something, manufacture something like, oh, I'm in the palace. What do I do? It's like you are who you are. When you're a spirit-filled woman, you are the spirit-filled woman in the prison and you're the spirit-filled woman in the palace on the same day. You are who you are. And it's the same for the spirit-filled man. You are who you are. You're not trying to manufacture it or impress somebody or anything. Like, hey, I'm nothing. It's not of me, but the Lord is good. And he will give you the dream, the interpretation. Hey, he's talking to you, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's like, hey, he's with you, Joseph. You want a job? How'd you like to run the entire company? But the way up with the Lord is always down. For for honor comes humility. 
before promotion comes demotion. Because otherwise, if he just raises us up, there's no character, there's no depth, and we train wreck it. Look at all those kings in the Old Testament who get power and they just train wreck it. They can't listen to prophets. They, 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 they lose all common sense. They go into the temple going like, I'm king, I can be a priest. like, no, you can't. And they get leprosy and they end their, life, their reign in exile, like Uriah. No, that brokenness that God gives from the pit to the false accusations to the prison, that's part of the process so that when you're in the palace, you're ready to be that person that you're meant to be on the day of the palace. It is, in fact, the journey of afflictions and trials and tribulations in time, space, and matter that prepare us for the glory of service and honor with the king for all eternity. It's the journey that prepares us for the destination. And you say, why do I suffer and go through afflictions and false accusations when people don't serve the Lord, don't go through those same things? Well, maybe they do, but if they don't, God's not preparing them for eternity. They're not part of his plan. You're part of the plan. It's kind of like parents. I don't try and parent other people's kids. I invest my parenting in my children. And I love little kids, but I'm investing my grandparenting in my grandchildren. That's, how, that's my wheelhouse. That's my stewardship. The last thing we see here is in verse 47. So we see that from the prison to the palace, that it's not in him, it's the Lord. That when he's speaking to Pharaoh, he's got the boldness of the Lord, and he's reminding Pharaoh that God's personal with Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh says, you know, the spirit of God is with you, and so it's all going good, and he's given the full authority to do everything on behalf of everybody because a spiritful woman, a spiritful man is hard to find, and when you find one, they're the ones that should be in charge because they're the ones that have the mind of the Lord. In verse 47, we read this. Now, in the seventh plentiful years, the ground brought it forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. He laid it up in every city, the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asnath, the daughter of uh, Patipariah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come. And as Joseph had said, the famine was in all the land, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, and whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt, so all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. Joseph, a spirit-filled man, is not only going to save his own... Well, he's going to save Egypt. He saves his own family that's up in the promised land, and he saves other nations. That's what spirit-filled women and men do. They, they save other people. At the end of his life, Joseph's going to say, you guys meant it for evil, but well, God meant it, meant it for good, for the saving of many lives. That's what spirit-filled women and men do. They save other people. They save their lives. They, they make a difference in their lives. Carnal people are gravitational. That's all about them. But spirit-filled women, spirit-filled men, they, they're about the Lord, and they save other people. Their actions are based upon serving and blessing 
other people. And their priorities are to grow and mature in their faith through the life experiences, be it good, bad, or ugly. Which brings us to the final thing here. The reason Joseph could be in charge of running the whole country is in the very names that he gives his children. Because in that 13 years from when he is thrown in the pit as a senior in high school by his brothers and betrayed and sold for 20 pieces of silver, to being falsely accused of attempted rape for which he served years in prison unjustly, he never changed who he was. He says, God has made me forget the toil of my father's house. The crying that his brothers will describe in a couple chapters of him pleading for them not to do it to him, he's going to forget it. What does forgiveness do? It forgets. It just lets go. So far as he's from the West, so far as he removed our sins from us, it says of the Lord. Just forget like it never was. That's what God does with our sins. When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And just forget it. We can try and forgive people on our own strength, but it's much better to cry out to the Lord and ask him to fill us with his spirit to help us forgive people in his strength. And Jesus holds us accountable to forgive others, even as he's forgiven us. And in that 13-year journey between the pit, Potiphar's house, and the prison to the palace, what made this man so great and what makes men of God and women of God so great is their willingness to humble themselves before the Lord and to forgive those who have treated them unjustly and unfairly. And I say this fairly often, but the three great equities of life with the king of kings is purity, suffering, and forgiveness. Those are three equities that are always in with the kingdom of God. Purity, afflictions, and forgiving others. And to the degree that we invest in those things that reflect the character and the heart of God and the nature of God, it is to our benefit. Before the crown, there must be a cross. And Jesus came and bore a cross and rode in on a donkey. It's cold. But when he comes back with the crown on the white horse, that's the fullness. But we're told in Hebrews that he learned things, if you will, in the context of time as the son before the father, as he suffered and endured unjustly for our sins. Before the crown, there is a cross. And however it is we get on the cross, whatever it is that happens to us on the cross, that's part of the process to prepare us for all eternity. We cannot get to the end of our life and say that we've not forgiven or we're filled with wrath and bitterness, but we need to start calling our children and grandchildren, the Lord made me forget the toil of my father's house. I've completely forgotten. I've let it go what they did to me and that heartache. That's who we need to be. We have to forgive. And it's not in us to forgive, but if we cry out to the Lord to fill us with his spirit, to be spirit-filled men like Joseph, the love of God shed in our our hearts, Romans 5 tells us, by the Holy Spirit, and therein we can forgive. Spirit-filled women can forgive. Spirit-filled men can forgive. Carnal men do not forgive, and carnal women do not forgive. But spirit-filled men and women can forgive and forget the toil. Let it go. Make it an offering. Give it to the Lord. Manasseh, God may forget. And then Ephraim, 
He's caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. See, in the end, we need to let the affliction work in our life to make us fruitful. Because that's the end objective. Afflictions and injustices that make us fruitful. The greatest testimonies, even the world esteems testimonies, of people who have suffered unjustly and what they can bring forth from that. We don't esteem shallow people. We esteem people who have endured great injustices and the ability to forgive others for that and made a world a better place. Now, people do that this side of time. It only benefits the temporal. But the greatest people do it this side of time where it benefits all eternal, all the eternity. And so the real route from the prison to the palace is what is going on in our heart. And when you name your children, I forgive, and I've been fruitful in affliction, the journey did exactly what it was intended to do. God allowed these things for you to be crucified, and you received it as a woman of God and as a man of God, and the world's a better place because of it. And now when you stand before Pharaoh, you say, you know what, it's not in me, but it is in my God. And that's what you learn on the cross, and that's what you learn in the afflictions and the trials and the heartache, is that, man, it's the Lord. And there are no shortcuts. We must be women of character. We must be men of depth. And that only comes through the afflictions. And would to God, as we move toward eternity, me being one of the oldest people in this room, that as we go before you and your children and your children's children and my children's children in the IT room right now, that as we move toward eternity and we're in assisted living or in memory care, that we can say we don't remember and we forget all the toil and we have been fruitful in our afflictions. That's how we want to be. That's how we need to be. That's the only way to be. There are no other alternatives that are worth living for. That's the one we want. You don't just get the signet ring from the king to rule everything without learning the lessons in those journeys of affliction. But if you learn them, you're ready for the glorious day of the Lord for all eternity. And that's what we learned from Joseph tonight.